Jesus Christ had haters and murderers. Martin Luther King had haters and murderers. If you're not doing anything extraordinary, you're not gonna have haters because what it really means is you're obscure. It means nobody knows who you are. Welcome to the Raw and Real podcast. Are you dreaming of changing your life through opening a business? Or are you curious what obstacles entrepreneurs had to overcome on their journey? Then you're in the right place. My name is Agnes Billig and I'm your host. Are you currently looking for a more fulfilling job? Do you want to start your own business, blog, YouTube channel, or just get your portfolio out there? It all starts with creating your own website and choosing the right hosting provider. Hosting is kind of like the home for your website and the whole infrastructure behind it. And with Bluehost, you get a free domain for the first year. You can install WordPress with just one click, which means that it's super easy. You don't need to write any code. You can create anything you want with customizable templates. So get started now and click on the link in the description below. So just again, click on the link in the description below and get started now. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real. Today's guest on the show is Tony Watley. He's a business mentor and the best-selling author of the book Side Hustle Millionaire. He's best known for being the co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive community which grew into the largest of its kind with over 300,000 registered members and was sold for millions only five years after beginning. Great having you on today, Tony. Agnes, thanks for having me on your show. I can't wait to meet your listeners and your audience over there in Holland. You know, it's going to be fun. My pleasure. So can you first give us a little bit some context about yourself and tell us about the way you grew up and the factors that shaped you along your way? Okay, so I grew up in a small town in a suburb of Houston, Texas. That's where I still live in the Houston, Texas area. My parents were both really hardworking parents. My mom worked in the public school system as a cafeteria worker. And my dad was in the U.S. Marines. And then after he got out of the military, he worked in the chemical refineries here in the Houston area his entire career. So I learned the values of hard work. And I really have the just the toughness and the discipline from both parents. My mom was very disciplinarian when it came to education. I was a straight A student and I always made sure that I had good grades. My dad was the leadership type disciplinarian. I'm being ex-military and being the leader of own, the things that he was working on. I learned that I had the mental toughness and the physical toughness to kind of combine. So I've got a really good set of disciplinarian parents. It's actually their 50th anniversary this weekend. So I learned that way. And I, learned, I also learned that if I wanted to achieve something, if I wanted to get something out of life, I had to go get that for myself. They weren't willing to go spoon feed me or make it easy on me. They just gave me the right tools and the right encouragement to go do those kind of things. So even as a child, I was out there pushing the lawnmowers at age 12 knocking on doors, asking if I could mow yards for money. And I was asking if I could wash cars or walk dogs. So I've always been entrepreneurial because while some people could be sitting around as a kid going, well, I don't have video games. I don't have skateboards. I don't have bicycles. I had to figure that out for myself. They weren't going to go buy that for me. We only got gifts at Christmas, like most kids. So if I needed something, if I wanted something, I had to go figure it out. But my parents were always encouraged that to say, yeah, go figure it out. Go knock on doors. So I was very fortunate to have parents that let me do those kind of things. And so I would say that I've always been an entrepreneur, even before I knew what that was. <laughs> okay. And uh, how did you end up then in the oil and gas industry in the corporate sector? So for me, you start to think about everybody talked about being a lawyer, doctor, engineer, like the very simple degree plans to get you there. 
And I've always been a creative person. I've always been artistic and like to paint and draw and build things with my hands. And I said, well, how do I get paid doing that? They don't really have a lot of income. Yeah, I make six figures by doing that a lot of times. And so I said, okay, well, I like cars. I'm a very car fanatic. I love cars. I love building cars, racing cars. My businesses that I've created are around automotive performance cars. And so I said, oh, maybe if I get an engineering degree, I'll go design cars. That would be cool. I'd get to work on cars. And, and so that's what it is. I pursued my mechanical engineering degree. And then when I graduated, I started interviewing with the automotive manufacturers, which are large around the Detroit, Michigan area. And they weren't offering a lot of money. They don't really pay like oil and gas does. They literally would pay half of what oil and gas did. And I already lived in Houston, which was the capital of the oil industry for the entire world when you think of it. And so I was like, well, why don't I just work in oil and gas? If you're going to pay me double, I can actually stay home. It actually costs less than living in Michigan and Detroit area. It's nicer than Detroit area. So I had all my friends and my family here and I said, you know what, I'll, I'll just work in oil and gas and then I'll be able to afford the cars instead of trying to design the cars that I can't afford. So that's what I did as I got into that and it paid really well. So kind of trapped me in that for about 25 years of my life. And when was the moment that you really started to start side projects next to your job? Because that can be also really challenging. I can imagine that your job was like a 60-hour work week. And then to find the energy to start something next to it can be really hard. I started my first businesses really because I feel like I needed a creative outlet and also needed to be able to showcase my own growth and my own aggressiveness in business and wanting to learn new things because there's nothing worse than being a young person in a professional setting. And you know that you have a lot of potential and you know that you want to climb and you want those results right away. And you've got these supervisors that look at you and they say, you got to pay your dues. You got to wait your turn. You got to wait, wait, wait. And they always want to pull you down from your potential. And you know, you can take on more responsibility. You know that you can do more actions, but they're telling you to wait. And you're young, Agnes. So you understand you're relieving, you relate to this. So you get tired of these people that tell you like, you got to pay your dues and you get 10 years before you get promoted. And so you're doing these tasks that are very simple for you. And yeah. there's nothing gratifying about doing simple tasks and not feeling any challenge. Sometimes you do get a good supervisor that will challenge you and give you a little bit more responsibility, but it's very rare that you get that. So I said, you know what? I've got these skills and I've got these knowledge and I've got these ideas and I'm not getting to do them at my job. So let me go figure out something. So again, with the car stuff, I wanted to go back into the car scene. I was like, well, what, what can I build something in the automotive scene so I can actually be involved in that industry without you know, affecting my paycheck? So that's when I started LS1 Tech was basically... Before that, I was building web pages. I learned how to code. I taught myself HTML. I bought books because we didn't have YouTube. This was all back in the late 90s, 96 to 98. I was teaching myself how to do Photoshop, graphic design, learn how to build really simple web pages just by coding HTML and doing graphics. And I started to build websites for a lot of automotive performance shops and manufacturers and things around the internet because they weren't on the internet yet. They were still advertising in print media at that time trying to convert to the internet because of automotive forums and communities and just really digital magazines. So I said, okay, I can teach myself how to do this and I can trade my website for car parts because I was modifying buying cars. So I could trade for a set of wheels to go build some company, a webpage. And I go, okay, well, I need something for my engine. I can go to this webpage, this company that doesn't have a webpage and offer to build them a webpage and they'll give me car parts. So originally it was a bartering system that was trading stuff. It was fun for me to do. And then someone approached me, one of my business partners in Chicago, and he said, hey, let's build a community. 
we were all hanging out on another community that wasn't being operated very well. It was mismanaged. The guy wasn't paying his server bill, so it would get deleted all the time. And we were the ones creating all the content. So we were spending hours and hours a day creating content for this person. And he wouldn't pay his bill. And then the server host would just delete all the stuff that we created. And the guy wasn't doing backups. So after that happened a few times, we approached the guy that owned the community that we were a member of. And we said, hey, you have advertising revenue. We can see the, the sponsored banners on your site. We can do the simple math because we know what you're charging and we know what servers cost. So why are you not investing that money back into the business and keeping it you know, running? Mm-hmm. And instead of taking that as constructive criticism, which we were his best supporters, he said, well, if you think you could do a better job, go start your own website. And oh, really? I never even thought about that. Never even thought about it. It's like, well, I, I guess I could learn that. I taught myself how to code. I taught myself graphic design. It's like, I can go figure out how to buy software and rent a server and upload that. And if I can, I can hire somebody to do that for me. So you don't challenge your greatest supporters when they're giving you constructive feedback. That's a good lesson for a lot of people that put their ego before their results. And they think that nobody's going to leave and go do that. So I said, okay, me and one of my partners in Chicago, we, I'm in Houston. We, that's another thing is you can have partners all over the world. We never had business meetings in person. It was virtual. And this was early 2000s. We started that in 2001. And when you start to think about this, it's like anything in the world is connected now, especially nowadays. It's a lot easier. You and I are in different continents having sure. this meeting. So don't limit yourself to just thinking that people need to be in your proximity or physical proximity to be able to do business with them or partner with them or start something with them or collaborate with them. It's, it's, it's even better now than it ever has been. So again, we started this business as a result of being challenged that, you know, if you think you could do a better job, go, go do it. And we did. And within one year, we had already exceeded the market share of that original place we were hanging on. And I remember that guy still having egos. Well, whenever you get 10,000 members, you can tell me how to run a website. So I made sure to email him after we had 10,000 members and screenshot that and said, well, I got 10,000 members. I guess we can show you how to do this. And then, you know, within a year, we blew past him and never looked back. And we became the number one General Motors performance website on the internet, which grew and grew and grew. And the reason is because although it was a side business, mm-hmm. we never treated it like a hobby. A lot of people start these side hustles, Agnes, and they, and they think about it's side money. They think side business equals side money. So they have the job and they go side money. Well, guys, for over 10 years, my side business, which I defined by the time invested in it, my side business was creating more income for me personally than my six-figure career in engineering. Mm-hmm. So my side business only took an hour a day, but it was earning more than my eight to 10 hour a day job. So I want you to understand this because the potential exists. A lot of people get into the side business thinking it's going to be Oh, a little spending money. I, I know, like having nice clothes and maybe I want a little nicer car. I can get this little side business. And they enter that with this mentality. But the thing is, if you take it serious and you treat it unlike a hobby, if you actually treat it like a legit business and do things that are required to scale and grow your business, eventually you hope that that side business becomes your actual income. And the potential's never been better than any time in history for that right now. And when you started the business, what was like your main challenge that you had to overcome? I think it's always the self-doubt because mm-hmm. growing up middle class, I always had this perception that you had to be rich to be a business owner. We always hear these fallacy statements of it takes money to make money and, and yeah. it's just fallacy. It doesn't, it's not true. So when you grow up thinking that only rich people could be business owners and you, realize, you think that you need millions of dollars to go start a business, 
that's the kind of thing that keeps most people in the middle class from really understanding that they actually could go start a business. I started that business for $350. That was just the software licenses. And the, ser the server rental at the time when we started was something like $30 a month because we weren't busy on traffic. Mm -hmm. It grew as the, the website grew. And we had over 100,000 unique visitors per day. So when you think about the digital store front versus a, a main street, like also that's another thing I thought about is most people have the perception of business back then, early 2000s. Remember, internet was just starting to get fired up. We, we thought of businesses that you needed to have a storefront on Main Street with your name on the window and, and hours posted on the door. That's what yeah. we thought about business. Yeah. And when you think about that, the website at the peak when I sold it in 2007, we had 100,000 visitors, unique visitors every single day. Can you imagine a Main Street store on a storefront in Main Street having 100,000 people walking in and out that door every day? No, it's not even like reasonable. So scalability is huge when you start to think about digital businesses and places to hang out. I mean, we have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all these things, millions of people, millions of people a day visiting those websites. So you understand like that's where the real scalability is. When you start to impact people on a bigger scale, that's when the revenue starts to come in. So the challenges for me were just getting out of my own way and understanding like you can do this. And it's, the, it's not as hard as it seems. And were there especially moments when that self-doubt was really coming up or really strong? I think it's just like anything in our lives, whether we're challenging something that's not normal for us, we're stepping out of our comfort zone. How many times, Agnes, have you done something that you thought was going to be scary or very difficult, then you did it and you look back and go, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really what you find out when it comes to business. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did you manage to change your mindset then? Because always like in the beginning, if, if that situation is ahead of you, it's really hard. But of course, like it's easier if it's behind you and you can look back. But in order to still go through it, you still need a certain trigger for it as well. I think the only way you gain confidence is through execution. So you may not have a lot of confidence. I'll, I'll tell you, even three years ago, I'm 47 for the listener's context. Three years ago, I would have not been on this microphone. Three years ago, I would not be standing on stages. I would not have my own podcast. I would not be doing any of this stuff because I had a fear of public speaking and I didn't like putting myself out there. For one, I had the financial reasons. I had a very comfortable life. I didn't need to put myself out there. I didn't need to teach people. There was a reason that I got into doing this about five years ago. But the thing is, is that I had to decide that my purpose was greater than my fear. Mm -hmm. And you don't gain the confidence until you start trying things and seeing results. And I'm talking just small things. If you just make a commitment to yourself, take an action, get a small result, that's going to set you up to do a little bit more. So you go, okay, let me, that step worked. Let me try some more. And you start taking these little baby steps and you start to get results. And that's what builds true confidence. You can you can read all the books on self-help. You can read all the mindset stuff in the world. But until you start to execute and apply the things that you're reading and actually start to see results and start keeping promises to yourself, you're not going to gain real confidence. So there's no shortcut to that. There's resources that can get you to that. But until you do something, you're not going to have the confidence. So what was the thing that really pushed you in the last three years to overcome that fear? Was there like a certain moment in life that really changed? Because it was like over 40 years um, mm -hmm. that you needed to get to that realization. So it happened for me in 2015. So going back five years, I race cars and I'm known for getting a lot of good time slips at the quarter mile or lap times that 
a lot of manufacturers and, and performance shops will throw me the keys to their test cars to go try to extract the best times out of them. I wrote for automotive magazines for over 10 years. So I'm very good at understanding everything about the cars and trying to get the best time for them. Marketing, right? It's all what it is. And so in 2015, I was drag racing at a track here in the Houston area at an event. And I was test driving another car. There was a thousand horsepower Dodge Viper, a twin turbo car. And about the top of third gear, something in the rear suspension broke, which caused the rear wheel to steer, not the steering wheel. And it took a hard left. I was in the right lane. And so it took a hard left. And I was now aiming at the wall, concrete wall at 130 miles per hour in a two-door sports car. And in that moment, I thought I was going to die because I remember into that moment muttering to myself, well, here I go. And I thought I was going to be that dead in that moment because I was like, this is not good odds. Engineering mind, I mean, I was bad odds approaching a concrete wall at 130 yeah. miles per hour in a sports car. And the weird, weird thing about that is I didn't have any fear in that moment. I was very peaceful in that moment. I just, I, I, it was profound. I just basically was relaxed. And I was kind of like no regrets. It was just like, well, here I go. That's mm -hmm. really how I felt. And of course, after the surviving of that impact and I had no major injuries, I was still remarkably calm. The paramedic at the track even gave me an inspection after we got out of the car. And, and she goes, you know, I wanted to tell you something at the end of her, you know, looking me over, took the shirt off, looking around for any damage. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Anything like that? Asking me questions to see if I had a concussion. Everything was very clear to me. And she said, I just wanted to point something out to you. We have major accidents out here all the time. It's a racetrack. She goes, I've never seen anybody so remarkably calm after a major impact. I didn't have the adrenaline shakes. I was very calm. My heart rate was really calm. Everything about me was calm. And what happened is I went back and, and I started thinking about that next week. What, uh, what if I would have died? What if I would have died that night? You have to go through this mortality exercise. If you were to die today, if you're listening to this, if you were to die today, be very honest with yourself. How would you be remembered? Mm -hmm. And you start to go through that mortality exercise, regardless of your age, and you're truthful about that. And sometimes you just have to look at the people that passed away before you, maybe your friends or someone in your family or somebody you know. How were they remembered? Were they similar to you? How were they remembered? And for me, I looked back at the people that I raced with that passed away in the motorcycle scene or the car scene. And they said, you know, so-and-so was a nice guy. So-and-so had some cool cars. It was always something like nice and too soon or, you know, it was just really superficial stuff. And I said, okay, I get it if you're a dirtbag type person. If you're a terrible human, you would aspire to be remembered as a nice guy or a nice lady. Like, that's 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 regardless. But if you live your entire life being a nice person and you're remembered that way, that told me that I'm not doing enough. And I said, okay, so, so I'm not doing enough. What does that mean? It means that I'm not leaving enough impact. I'm not doing enough. I want to be remembered more than just being a nice guy. I want to be remembered, remembered more than just being a millionaire with a bunch of fancy cars. That's just so superficial and shallow. And it showed me that I wasn't living up to my potential. And that was in 2015. So it even took me two more years of thinking about how am I going to impact? What am I really doing? Do I really like this career? And I actually left the oil and gas industry at 2015 after thinking about that and having the accident, there was a downturn in oil and gas at the end of that year. And I got laid off. I was working for a major oil company at the time. And I said, you know what? This is the catalyst moment. I need to start thinking about something I want to do with the rest of my life. And it's not being an oil and gas person and a millionaire with fancy cars. That's not who I want to really be remembered as. So I started really thinking about that, doing some soul searching, working on some contract jobs, building out this 365 driven brand that I started in 2017. I said, okay, what are the things I have passion for, Agnes? What are the things I, how can I impact millions of people? And the only two things I have a lot of passion for are entrepreneurship and cars. Yeah. And so 
for the first segment of my life, everybody knew me as car guy, yeah. built a massive community, car guy, car, car, car. All my social media was cars and events of cars and photos of cars, never photos of me. Cause again, I was afraid of putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to put myself out there. And so I said, okay, how am I going to impact other people? Well, the thing I can teach people is confidence in entrepreneurship. I said, okay, well, I'm afraid of being on camera. I don't like being on stage. I don't like the way I sound on my recorded voice. How do I do that? Well, I called myself out on that. I said, you know, you're just being weak. You're being weak. Uh You need to, you need to push yourself to go out there and do these kind of things to be able to share your message. You've got crazy stories. You've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. Why would you want to die and just keep all that inside you when you can actually be serving thousands and millions of people to do that? So I didn't invest in that. I, I joined Toastmasters and I, and I hired speaking coaches and I did videos every single day for a year. Even when people are laughing at me, lost several people in my life that I thought were friends because they would make fun of the things I was doing because I decided wow. to change my life and go in a different direction. And, and I took a huge pay cut. I was making over $200,000 a year in my oil and gas career, left that all behind. People thought I was crazy because I was doing this. Like, no, I just, I want to go do something more with my life. I've got money. I don't need to go cheap, keep chasing money for oil and gas companies. So in 2017, I said, I'm going to start talking about more than just cars. And I'm going to start putting myself in front of the camera instead of hiding behind the camera. And that's what I did. So the last three years have been crazy. It's, things have been just blowing up on this side. You said that some people would make fun of you as you would post these videos. And that can be like very discouraging. And like you said, a lot of people are also afraid to put themselves out there. So why did you keep going, especially if you had these like negative comments? Because it's really hard to like keep posting if you get that kind of feedback, right? I think that that's what the number one thing is, Agnes, that keeps people from trying to put themselves out there is their fear of potential criticism. I say potential because they don't even know if people are going to criticize them, but there's that fear of potential criticism. And that's what keeps most people from ever doing anything that's extraordinary or putting themselves out there, whether it's words or what they want to write or the photos or just standing in front of the camera or getting on a stage or starting that podcast or writing that book, done all those things in the last three years. And that was what kept me from doing that. We could all make excuses. We could say, oh, well, you know, I'm just so busy and Agnes, I've got this career and I've got a kid and I'm married and I've got, you know, you can make all kinds of excuses for not doing that stuff. Okay. That's conveniently there. But the thing is inside your, your, your heart, your heart and your soul knows that you need to be doing it, but you're going to use those excuses to convince other people why you're not. You're going to use those excuses to convince yourself why you shouldn't do it yourself. And when you really go down to the core of it, it's like, you're just being a bitch. You're just being, you're just being hiding is what you're doing. You're hiding. And when you start to really call yourself out on that, you're like, man, that hurts. Like, like if you're listening to this and you go, man, he's right. He's right. That is me. That's I'm just hiding. I want you to think about this. This is how you think about this. The people that you're hiding from, which will be a small percentage of those critics, I would say 1% of the people will become critics. And I'm going to get you over this, okay? This is very important. If you're in your deathbed, regardless of your age, let's say, you're, let's say you make it to elderly age, and you're, let's say you're, you're 90 years old, and you're in your deathbed, and you know that you only have limited time left, are you going to look back on your life with regret because you didn't do things because you're afraid of what some people are going to say? Are you going to look back on your life covered with scars and having a big smile and go, man, I lived everything that I, I did everything, did everything in my life. And while I could, I did everything. And here I am like, this is an awesome life. 
that's the life that you want to lead to. You don't want to live in your deathbed or even to a point where you're elderly and you can't move or do things or time is already run out. You don't, you're not going to make that impact. You're not going to live the thing that you want to do. So why do we let these critics dictate our entire lives now when they're not going to be at your funeral? They're not going to be at your deathbed. Those people that you worry about putting your life on hold, they don't matter. They really don't matter. So when you start to think about that, you need to think about why am I letting these people run my entire life today when they're not going to be at my deathbed or at my funeral. So when you start to put things in perspective, those people don't even matter. And the, here's their thing is when you start to see those people, even the people that you thought were friends or maybe even some family members, when you start to see people expose who they truly are, consider that a blessing that is showing you who they truly are. You'd rather know who they truly are, be able to create some proximity distance from those people and get those people out of your lives because they don't matter. There's other people out there you can serve. And like I said, it's about 1% of the people that will be critics. And there's also people out there that go, well, you know, Agnes, Tony, I don't, I don't have any haters. They, they wear that as, as a sense of pride. They're like, oh, I don't have any haters. Everybody loves me. Like, that's bull crap. Total yeah. bull crap. Jesus Christ had haters and murderers. Martin Luther King had haters and murderers. If you're not doing anything extraordinary, you're not going to have haters because what it really means is you're obscure. It means nobody knows who you are. So don't wear that as a, a sign of pride that I have no haters. It means you're not doing anything worth noticing. And that, that's tough love. I'm coming from a place of love. And if you hear this and you don't have any haters and no critics, it means nobody's paying attention to you. You're not doing anything worth noticing because as soon as you start to do things that are worth noticing, you will have critics. You will have haters. And I want to encourage this because that fear of the unknown, that fear of the potential critics, I want you to get over that right now because I want you to understand that you will have critics. You will have haters. So now that becomes, it's not unknown anymore. There's no fear of the unknown once you understand you will have them as soon as you start to step out and do things that are not normal or things that are climbing and trying to improve in your life, you will have that. So count on that and also expect that. So instead of avoiding that situation, I want you to go out there and find that situation. I want you to be excited when you get the first critics and I want you to be dancing for joy when you get that first hater comment yeah. because- that's what you need to expect if you want to go create something amazing in this world or create an impact as well. You should expect that and then embrace that that's part of the process. And were there certain special resources that helped you to overcome these fears that people can take a look at? I think it's joining online communities like my 365 Driven. And if you find your support groups, people who are like-minded around the world who can share in the entrepreneurial journey, I, I would invite you and any of your listeners that want to join 365 Driven Entrepreneurs on Facebook. It's free. I have a paid group and I have a free group. But the, paid, the free group is about 3,500 people who are like-minded around the world, sharing and helping each other with information, collaborating, doing those kind of things. So when you start to surround yourself with the right people and they're going to help you out and become a better version of yourself. And going back to the side business that you started. So, uh, were there any things that you implemented in terms of productivity? Because, you know, you had a full-time job and especially if you start something, um, you said that it was one hour a day that you had to invest. But especially if you start, it takes so much more than one hour. And then to get to that hour, yeah, it's just a lot of work. So uh, can you tell us something about that? So it says a lot about people especially like what coaching clients, let's say I get a new coaching client, they want to learn entrepreneurship. And I'll say, Hey, share your screen. Let me see your calendar. Mm -hmm. Let me see your schedule. And 
would say 90% of them, 90% of these people don't have one. They don't have a calendar. They're not using an app. They don't have a schedule. They're just kind of going through the motions. And then they have the excuse, well, Tony, uh, I'll just go to my normal job during the day. And, you know, that, that's like eight, nine hours a day. And then, you know, I come home and, you know, you know play with the, the kid and eat dinner. And it's like, so why is that not on your schedule? Do you not have a schedule for that? Is that important to you? And it's like, yeah, well, it needs to be on your schedule. So if you want to become successful, you don't randomly get there. You don't randomly just fill in time because me, I think the benefit for me is working in project management for over 20 years and understanding if I have a project, which is your company or your success, that's the deliverable. If I want to develop a company or a project, I need to understand the budget. I need to understand the timeline. I need to understand the risks. I need to understand all the little steps to get there and how they work together on a timeline. And then I just need to go execute each of those little steps on that timeline. So if you don't have that kind of a plan or goal, you're never going to get to any kind of result because you don't even know what you're working for. So it saddens me that there's so many people out there living life with no goals, no, no plan. They're just kind of going through the motions. You need some kind of a pattern interrupt to just disrupt that for you and go, you know what? I need to set up some goals. I need some financial goals. I need some freedom goals. I need some time goals. And then just work backwards from those goals and put those things on your calendar. So for example, if I were to show you my calendar, it's filled with the different appointments and even my vacation time and my socializing time and my every minute fitness of your time day. and er everything, everything, not every minute. But here's the thing is when things start to become a habit for you, like for example, fitness, I work out almost every day. Okay. I don't have to have that on my calendar because I can fill in the gaps based on the things that I'm working on. But if it's not a habit for you, you should put that on there. When it becomes a habit for you, you can remove it from your daily, your daily tasks. So example, if you're writing a book, when I wrote my book, I think about this kind of stuff. I, I blocked out time. And if you're going to write a book and you want to commit to writing a book or launching a podcast or doing anything like that, you need to block out time and guard that time because that is very important. Something project, maybe that's a high significant value of something you want to build that project. You need to guard that time. So while I was writing my book, I actually had my whiteboard next to me and I cleaned it all off. It's like, okay, I'm going to take it serious. I'm going to write this book. And I wrote on the, the whiteboard and said, just write effing book. And that's all that was on there. And anytime people would give me an offer for distraction, hey, you want to go have lunch? Or hey, you want to hang out this weekend? Or hey, you, want, you know, all these distractions that we're inundated with on a daily basis. I would hear that distraction. I would look at my board and I said, write effing book. I was like, no, that has priority over this real quick decision. Sometimes other things do have priorities. And I'm not saying to go be a workaholic and devote your entire life to writing that book, but you need to be able to discern the differences instantly and go, no, that's more important. So when you guard that time and nobody's like interrupting your, your time because you've already booked it, you're going to be a lot more you know, focused on the goal and you're going to actually execute. Mm -hmm. And uh, you started monetizing the website by getting advertisers on your site. So, um, so first of all, how did you manage to do that? Especially if you were just like working the whole day. So you had like time either really in the morning or in the evening, and from uh, what amount of users um, did you get the first ones? So we had already built up somewhat of a, a reputation for being leaders of that previous community. So when we decided we were going to go leave and do things, we already had a little bit of, I guess, capital to think about that, just, just uh, connections. And they go, you know what? These guys are always contributing value. We're going to be curious and go support them. Not, not saying that they would leave the other side. They basically would just join both and kind of see what we were doing. Yeah. And as they saw that we were creating more value than the other side, they're like, hey, these, the site's actually better. 
And so we started to build the audience that way by just contributing value. And that's no different nowadays than social media. If you're out there on Instagram or, or you're on TikTok or Facebook and you're out there contributing value, LinkedIn, like where you and I met, you're out there creating content and educating people and inspiring people and encouraging people and participating in their posts, they're going to start to see you as a valuable contributor to things. And they're going to go, you know, who is Agnes? Who is Tony? Why don't we, maybe they look like they're actually hustling out there and actually providing value. They're not just taking from everybody. So maybe I want to go have that person in my network. Maybe I want to have that person on my show or things like that. So you got to be using social media with intent. Don't use it as a scrolling or a swiping brain dead type escapism, you know, app. Use it as an intent. Think about this. If you're building your personal brand or your corporate brand now, it's never been easier now to get in front of thousands of people. So go join those groups of people who might be the potential customers of yours. And don't go in there and just start, you know, basically spamming and promoting yourself. That's terrible what to do. But go join those groups where there's a lot of people that think like you or maybe need something that you're going to need in the future and just contribute value by answering their questions, by encouraging them, by sharing some thoughts or ideas or advice with them. And they're going to start to see that you're a contributor to that, that community and they're going, hey, who is this person? They're always contributing. They're always teaching me things. They're always encouraging me. They're always liking my posts. They're going to go look at your profile and they're going to go, oh, that's what Agnes does. Oh, that's what Tony does. Well, you know what? They got a community. I want to go join their community or they got a product or service that they sell. I want to go buy that because I need that too. So you indirect market nowadays rather than being promotional spammy. I would say that 90% of the content that I create never even talks about me. I'm always trying to give value to other people and that attracts people into my show, my books, my groups. It's not about pitching all that kind of stuff. You don't want to be out there sales, sales me. You know, I don't even like doing that anyways. But just attract people. It's attraction marketing. In the past three years, because you said that a lot changed for you during that time, what were the beliefs or habits that you implemented that really had a significant effect on your life? Hmm. I would say in the last three years, the way to grow what I'm growing, which is a business coaching business and an entrepreneurship community, I've already got the community background. I, I, I'm very good at building massive communities. I was able to replicate that a few times. Mm -hmm. The coaching thing was a little different for me because I was engineering project management. And although I mentored people and helped people privately for the last 15 years, I wasn't doing it in a public manner. So you got a 40 year old something dude trying to get out there on social media and build the influencer brand and try to get in front of many people. I had to learn a lot of things. And I'll tell you that you can waste a lot of time or you can spend a little bit of money. A lot of people, if you have a lot of time, it's going to just take you longer to get the same results. If you want to get fast results, you start to collaborate and work with people that can make things happen for you. Because here's one of the key things that keeps people average versus successful. Average people, when they're presented with a challenge, they ask themselves, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? How do I? It's always a how question. Successful people answer it a little different. When they're presented with a challenge, they say, who do I know that can fix this? It's always a who answer. So they're looking for someone that's got expertise or somebody that's got a connection or maybe just somebody that can teach them how to do something really quickly to get past that challenge because average people focus on that challenge and they waste way too much time trying to get through things. Successful people just want to get to a next bigger challenge as fast as possible. So think about that kind of stuff. Think about, are you asking yourself how or are you asking yourself who? Because you're really good in building these big communities. So what's the distinguishing factor about the way how you work? A lot of people try to build a community and they do it with ego and they come from a 
place of ego and they want to be the top of the mountain. They want everybody to look at them and admire them and stand on that pedestal and just, oh, I'm super awesome. This is my super awesome community. And you're all here because of me. And that'll get some people so far. Maybe you're very charismatic. Maybe you're attractive or whatever it is. Maybe that'll get you so far. But the problem is, is that most of those kind of people just think that the line of communication goes from them to each individual member. They just want one line of communication between them and each individual member in their community. Like I'm the top of the mountain. The right way to build massive communities is that you have to encourage and facilitate connections within the members of your community. You want lines of communication from you to them, to everybody else mixed in there. You want all of them to have lines of communication and context to build that massive community. So give me an example of that. I participate within my community. I don't just create a community and go, I'm just super awesome. And once in a while, I'll drop in. No, I answer questions. I engage people and I challenge people and I encourage people and I give advice. And I'm an active member of the community, just like I was when the car scene, I was still writing how-to articles. I was still racing cars. I was still teaching people how to do things. So be a contributor to your community, just like you're an active member. People are all going to know who you owns it. They all know who the, the, the leader is but you don't have to use that as an egotistical type thing. So I wanted to make sure that I built lifelong friends within the community, not only just my friends, I wanted my community members to be friends. And there's ways you can do that by creating activities or live events or any kind of things where they get to connect and meet each other or even on these video calls on Zoom nowadays, yeah. where they start to build lifelong friendships within your community because they're always gonna remember, hey, I met Agnes in this group, and yeah, that's why we all hang out in this group. And like, I met these people in this group and they're always going to remember, I, I met them in 365 Driven. So it's important to really solidify these, the bonds between members instead of trying to think it's all about you. So a little bit in the form of a mastermind as well. Yeah, as long as you could take the mastermind, get, that's the meeting point. And then once they get back home, they still have those, those tight connections with other people. Mm -hmm. Do you still have a last key takeaway, a personal insight you would like to share that helped you grow? I think the main one that most people underestimate is just, just what I use is consistency. My word is consistency. That's a, the big word. A lot of people want to start something, whether it's a fitness journey or a business or try something new or public speaking or podcast, whatever you want to start, books, anything you want to start that's outside of your normal. Consistency is the key word. That's the foundation. And the problem with that, Agnes, is that consistency is a very common word. We hear this our entire lives. Be consistent, work hard consistently, consistently show up. We hear this our entire lives. And what happens is it starts to dilute the importance of that word. We hear it and we think, okay, I got that. I got that. I've heard that my entire life. Like I'm not getting the results. I, so maybe, you know, maybe it's, I'm missing something. I've got consistency. I need something else. So that's when people get on the internet and they start looking around for that magic potion, or the silver bullet or the one funnel away or these apps or tools or just thinking like, I'm not getting results. So I need to go find something I'm missing. It's consistency. It's the tenacity and the consistency and showing up every single day to put in that effort that is going to get you the results. There's no shortcut on a lot of things. It's just about showing up. So a lot of people go, okay, Tony, what do you think of consistency? So I'm going to give you my definition of consistency. So maybe you can see if it differs from the way you think of consistency. Consistency is showing up every damn day. And and to me, that includes weekends. I'm not saying to go be a workaholic, but I'm saying you need to contribute some kind of value or move the needle of progress to your goals every single day. And that's why I call it 365 driven every day. This year, you get a day off because there's 366 years, day, you know, days in, two, in 2020. We're in a leap year, but you know what? I'll give you one day off. The rest of the, rest of the days, you got to be there. So 
here's the thing is a lot of people go, well, does that mean I got to go work on the weekends? Does that mean I got to get a second job or third? I've done that. I've worked two or three jobs before because that's all I knew at the time. I just knew that I had to trade dollars and hours. Employee mindset tells you if you need to make more money, you got to go trade more hours. You got to go pick up shifts. You got to go get a second and third job. That's not what I'm talking about. If that's what you have to do at the time, that's what you have to do. Understand that. But on the weekends, when everybody's going, hey, it's Friday, you and I are recording this on Friday. True. People are like, hey, it's Friday. And they're, and they're like, oh, my TGIF. And they're like, oh my God, two day weekend. Or, you know, they're, they're all happy about the weekends because their life is so miserable that they need that weekend to escape and unwind from their miserable job that they've decided to keep. And understanding that the weekends are a way to get ahead. So I'm going to do some simple math for the listeners of why this matters. If you're not, if you're not living the life that you currently dream about, if you do not have the lifestyle that you currently want to have, then, and you're still partying on the weekends and doing things on the weekends, here's the math. Five days out of seven, if you're only putting in five days of effort out of seven, if you do the simple math, five divided by seven comes out to a 71%. And I don't know about you or where you're going to school, but I know a 71% and here in the United States, that's, that's like a D minus. That's barely passing. Like it's, it's a C minus minus or a D minus. It's barely passing. So if you're out there and you don't have the lifestyle you want and you're only putting in five days a week, you're, you're operating at below average. So how do you think you're going to get above average or that lifestyle you dream about if you're putting in below average work? That's the, the simple math of that. Now, so okay, how do you fix that? If, if it requires your personal branding, if it requires to, you to create videos or content, you should be doing that every single day. If you think that your personal brand or whatever you're building or you need to get out there and get in front of more people, you should be doing that every single day. Now, if you're trying to get better at something or learn new skills, you should be using that Saturday and Sunday to maybe learn by taking a course or reading a book or executing or practicing that side hustle, getting a little bit better. I'm not saying you got to do it all day, but you could get up at six in the morning and work till noon and have six hours of productivity both of those days and spend the rest of the day to go, go do your social thing. I'm not saying to not go party and go have fun with your friends and family, but you need to invest those kind of times to get ahead. So that's the differentiator between average and successful is we see weekends as a way to get ahead of everybody else. Everybody else sees it as a way to turn off and just relax. We see that as an advantage because I go from 71% to 100% just by using those weekends. Yeah, amazing. And uh, how can people get in touch with you? My website is 365driven.com, 365driven.com. And that's also the title of my podcast if you want to go listen to that. Awesome. Thank you so much for making the time today. And for everyone who's watching or listening, we would love to hear from you what your insights were today and how can you turn those really into action steps. So please let us know in the comments below and uh, see you next week.